Hello, my lovely listeners. Just before we dive into today's episode with James, another reminder about the Queer Student Awards. Entries close on the 14th of May, so that's just under two weeks' time away now. You can find out more at thequeerstudentawards.co.uk and look for us on Instagram at the Queer Student Awards. Enjoy the show. And I did that role for about a year um, and was sort of struggling a bit with with uh, kind of the big boss within the team because I thought, yeah, he's right. I don't fit the mould. And whilst I'm contributing because I'm different to what you need, you actually don't know what to do with that. When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process, instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the My Career Story podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now this week's guest is James McMillan. James, how are you? I am good, thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So James is one of the brave souls who nominated themselves, or was rather nudged, I believe, um, for this season featuring LGBTQ people. And it's always great when guests do that. So thank you very much for stepping into the spotlight today, James. James describes his career story as largely accidental. Having switched university degrees early on, he's hopped around jobs from fashion to accountancy, telecoms, and lately as an entrepreneur, setting up two businesses. James is now co-founder and CEO of Join My Nexus, a digital platform to enable better access to funding for diverse entrepreneurs. James, what's your career story? Well, where to start with my career story? Um, I think you, you said it right when you said that, you know, it's it's largely accidental. Um, and I think uh, I, I often describe my journey as, as kind of just just taking opportunities, I think, as they as they as they as they've arisen. Um, so I, I've always felt like I was a bit of a black sheep. Um, in lots of the jobs that I've done, um, not because I was bad at them, um, but usually the opposite. Actually, I, I was always really good at kind of anything I could turn my hand to. But I think that I'd always struggled to balance this sort of creative side of me as well as being a bit of an academic. Um, so I, I didn't really get very good careers advice. I think when I was at school, um, it was pretty generic, um, just try hard. Um, so when I did my exams, um, I, did, I did very well. You know, I got lots of kind of good grades. Um, but when it came to kind of choosing A-levels and going to university, I didn't really know what I wanted or what I enjoyed. I'd sort of been just drilled to, to do well. Um, and so, I chose genetics as my kind of first degree, which um, was is not related to any of the jobs that I've ended up doing, um, and and I kind of um, I went off to York University. It was I, I started um, 
studying and I very quickly realized that I was not going to be a scientist um, and it was it was pretty intense when I was at uni um, it was sort of like 35 hour weeks it was 10 week terms really really quick and intense um, and I was spending all of my time wagging lectures and going to drama club and and doing dance classes and joining every society um, that I could I could get into um, and and basically at that time actually what I didn't really recognize was that um, I was sort of realizing actually that I was LGBT um, and so I took a leave of absence from uni I did my first year um, managed to convince my parents to to give me a year off uh, to go and work and just think about what I really wanted to do um, and I moved to Manchester and that was kind of when the, the big part of my career started. So I just started jumping into anything I could sort of get my hands on. Um, so I was temping just so that I could do any, any old job, um, uh, you know, everything from reception work to handing out magazines on the street. Um, and then I was sat in a call center um, on one particular job booking um, driving tests um, for, for the driving standards agency and I'm very exotic um, and you know this girl who's sitting behind me said oh there's there's jobs going um, in town at, at Louis Vuitton um, and it's like seven pound an hour and we were like oh wow gosh seven pound an hour I need to get some of that action um, and I didn't even know what Louis Vuitton did so I just kind of whacked a suit on one day, popped down on my day off, handed my CV in um, uh, and said, you know, I really like, I hear there's jobs going. And, and that's kind of the start, I think, of me sort of what I would loosely term blagging my way into work. <laughs> so um, I didn't hear anything for about a week. And then I thought, well, something must have happened. Like, it didn't occur to me that maybe they didn't want me to work there I just thought well they must have made a mistake so put the suit back on went down on another day off um, and said uh, look I handed a CV in but no one's even called me um, and uh, somebody sort of disappeared off in the back and, and came out and said okay uh, could you come in for an interview next week um, and I, I went for that interview and sat there and when they said uh, you know, what do you know about Louis Vuitton? And I was like, absolutely nothing. I said, but um, do you know what? I said, I know that I don't know anything right now. I was like, but basically you just need to teach me, don't you? So you're going to tell me whatever it is that you need me to know, and then I'm going to know it. So don't really see that as being a barrier. And, um, you know, seems like a fancy shop to me. Um, and like, actually I was, um, you know, I grew up in a family business. So, not quite the same we had fancy caravan parks so I'd always worked from the age of sort of 13 um, and I was like yeah five-star caravan park same thing as Louis Vuitton so I sort of managed to charm my way in I think I think they just thought okay this guy's odd but we'll, we'll get him in um, and I loved working for LV and that was kind of my first experience of having like a you know real opportunity and experience um uh, and what sort of happened was that I found myself being given a lot of responsibility very quickly um I became stock controller for this the store um uh, and so I was sort of really getting under the skin of this job and then suddenly was thinking oh, I should really go back to uni um 
And so I stayed in Manchester and um, took, um, I, I started actually doing uh, business studies. Um, and that was a lot easier, a lot less hassle than genetics. Um, it was about an 11 hour week. Um, and I thought, Do you know what, I can probably still continue working. So I just stayed with Louis Vuitton full time for like the first two years of my degree, because I could sort of weirdly balance it. And it, and it was loosely relevant so I was sort of every time I got a project I just did it on Louis Vuitton because that was the easiest thing to do um so you know nice and efficient um and then by the time I came to graduate I was sort of on um uh, doing just kind of the Saturday boy job and um I suddenly realized that I'd been doing my degree I had not given a second thought to what I was going to do afterwards so I just sort of thinking oh oh everyone's applying for jobs I was like why did I not get the memo like I didn't I didn't even realize that's what people were doing um uh, and so I started to hunt around and basically I'd made a bit of a deal with my parents when I started university that the thing I really wanted to do was go to drama school and they were like well get a degree first and then we'll maybe see about that but by the time I came to finish my degree at Manchester I was um, out and proud and actually I'd met someone and we were kind of living together in Manchester and we bought a house and, and so all of a sudden it was a bit like oh well, maybe drama school is not the direction I'm going to go in anymore um, and my dad is one of those people that was very much about don't you want to become like a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor? And I was like, no, these all sound really boring. Um, so accountancy was on like my do not do list. Um, and then in that kind of weird sort of twist of, of fate, I was chatting with um, a guy on Facebook that I knew from York University. And this is kind of where the story is a bit odd, but the weird connection is he quite fancied me when I was at York University and I had no idea about this. Um, but at that time I wasn't gay and I was still trying to work out who I was. So we sort of pick up years later and in this conversation about him saying, oh gosh, you know, what are you up to now? Um, it turned out he had trained as an accountant and I was thinking, wow, like you are, an English lit studying, scarf wearing, drama doing guy. Like what, how on earth did you end up doing accountancy? Um, and it kind of challenged actually, I guess my misconceptions maybe around what, what accountancy was. Um, and so he recommended the firm that he trained with um, called Baker Tilly. And I sort of thought, well, do you know what? I'll give it a go why not? Another opportunity comes knocking. So um, I went and applied for a job with them. I turned up to the interview in like bright coloured socks and a brown suit and everyone else is wearing like grey and black. And I'm sort of <laughs> looking around the room thinking, wow, this looks really boring. Um, but, you know, hey ho, I'm here, I'm trying to get a job. Um, and I, I sort of, I think because I didn't really care too much, I sailed through um, the, the uh, assessment centre. Um, and, and similar, I think, to my interview with Louis Vuitton, um, you know, they asked me, why do you want to be an accountant? And I just flat out laughed and said, no one wants to be an accountant. Like, what a stupid question. Um, 
I just said, look, you know, when you're when you're eight years old, you want to be like a rock star or, a, you know, an astronaut or something. I said, you know, people become an accountant because it's like a good job. Um, and the interviewer, of course, was like, oh, she's like, well, I, I always wanted to be one. I said, well, you know, there's always one, isn't there? <laughs> so, and, I, and I think, again, that's sort of I've got this weird um, charm, I guess, or, or I've always had this ability to to push a joke just to the edge of probably what's acceptable. Um, and I th- and I think they sort of were like, oh, this guy's kind of fun. Well, we should get him in. You know, he's not like the others. Um, uh, and then that was it. That was kind of the beginning. And I, I stayed with the firm for like six and a half years. I moved around loads. Um, I never wanted to be in audit. So um, that's where I did my training. And then I, I very quickly, you know, my first appraisal was saying, right, okay, so when I qualify in a few years time, what am I going to do? What are my options? Um, and I guess I didn't really realize that that was the entrepreneur in me. And at the time, I just felt like it was somebody who w- wanted to kind of do the best and achieve the best. Um, uh, and so I was I was very driven and very kind of pushing, pushing on. Um, and, and during that time when I was studying for my accountancy, I actually got a- engaged to my partner. So I was still with the, the, the chap that I met. Um, we got married and then we got divorced. So it was it was like a really crazy time where work became and my career was very much almost about achievement and almost around what it stood for. Um, in spite perhaps of me being LGBT, which I'm not sure if that makes total sense, but I think I was, I felt like I had to do really well. Um, and I was, I had a lot of pressure, I think, on myself. Um, and I very quickly realized, I say quickly, I mean, I said accountancy was on my do not do list, but um, I, I realized that, you know, it, I'd, I'd, got, I'd kind of been thrown off track. You know, I didn't really have a direction. I'd fallen into this career. Um, I'd stayed in the area and doing this job because I was, you know, in love and I was getting married um, and that was all great. And then when that fell apart, I kind of realised I would, actually I didn't really like the job that much, but I didn't notice before because I had all this other stuff going on. Um, so I got this opportunity to kind of move with the business. Um, I moved into corporate finance doing kind of mergers and acquisitions and and helping people buy and sell businesses um and then i saw this job advertised with bt in london um and it was like double my salary and i thought oh yeah i'll have a piece of that like this this job sounds like me um and it was it was basically like a problem solver and i think that's what i'd always sort of ended up doing um was fixing things or, or or trying my hand at certain things or just just having a go um and I I applied for this role and I ended up um to my shock and horror again sort of getting the job um having another odd interview where I got right to the final stage and the director actually said no your face doesn't fit you're not you're not the right person um and I thought oh that's a shame and then one of the people that had interviewed me at like the fourth stage or something got back in touch and said yeah that's not gonna happen like we're definitely employing you I just need to convince the boss um and I sort of found out afterwards that 
like no one had ever done that to him so if he said no it meant no and I was the first one that they sort of let through the net which I always was quite fascinated by um and and I ended up doing business process improvement which I didn't really know anything about um and and what sort of happened was that I got into that job and they actually said we really like you because of your accountancy experience we think that these skills will help you and I thought are you kidding me like I'm trying to get away from that like what what is going on so um I actually discovered that they were right so you know the fact that I was analytical the fact that I could um you know get into data and information really quickly and understand stuff I'd learned to do things like skim a contract, you know, within five minutes and pick out the important stuff. Cause that's what you do when you're in audit, you're processing massive amounts of information. Um, and I did that role for about a year um, and was sort of struggling a bit with, with uh, kind of the big boss within the team. Cause I thought, yeah, he's right. I don't fit the mold. And whilst I'm contributing because I'm different to what you need, you actually don't know what to do with that. Um, uh, and so I started sniffing around the business for other jobs. And and when you get into somewhere like BT, because it's so huge, there was this massive um, kind of benefit to being able to go and do almost anything I wanted to. Um, and I, I had a mentor and she recommended me for this role as head of a HR program management office. And I was like, OK, I don't really know anything about HR. I don't know anything about program management but sounds a little bit like I just need to be a bit organized and it's about people. I was like, that, that's about the summation. And um, they crazily again, gave me the job, um, had another weird half hour interview where I was just very enthusiastic. Um, uh, and they told me afterwards that it basically came down to me and someone who was a really, really experienced project manager uh, and basically what they said was we picked you because you were kind of fun and a bit more interesting <laughs> like you you might tackle it with a bit of enthusiasm um and that was my introduction and I say introduction but really it was it was a complete immersion and just a deep end um throwing me throwing me in um into senior management and I'd kind of I didn't really recognize at the time that actually I'd accelerated my career journey in that sort of in a really short space of time of about three years of suddenly going to manager almost associate director director level um, and I was finding myself sitting around a table with people who were twice my age and I was the expert and I was suddenly like oh crikey this is different um, you know and, and maybe I don't feel like I, I deserve to be here you know I'm, I'm sort of I'm not really I sort of felt like oh I don't really know what I'm doing I'm just you know bumbling between these jobs and and giving it a go um but but actually I think what came out of that then was that lots of my co-workers and and these experienced leaders were saying to me you should be working for yourself they said you know you've you've actually no business being here they're like you're excellent and you're really really good at what you do but you can tell that almost the corporate life is not for you. It's like because they don't know how to handle the way you go about innovating, you know, and how you go about kind of making stuff happen. Um, uh, and I thought, oh, wow, I'd never really thought about it like that. Um, 
and that just set me off then on on this kind of the final part of my journey which in in the last few years you know I just sort of literally jacked the job in you know handed in my resignation one day you know it's a really stressful job and I think I'd been crying in the office one day because I was like this is too much I'm I'm still trying to do something that I, I don't need to prove um and and I just set up a business consultancy because I thought well I've got the skills I've, I've trained as an accountant I've been in HR at a really senior level um I've learned about the inner workings of kind of massive great big businesses actually I could take all of that and go back to the clients that I used to work with when I trained in accountancy. Um, and it was sort of this really weird thing where I realized that actually I quite liked it. <laughs> that I'd, even though I'd started off saying, don't do it, you know, it's boring, you don't want to. Actually, there was a part of me that was really into it. So, so that's what I did. I, I set up my own business. Um, and then that led a couple of years ago to me um, bumping into an old client from when I was an accountant. And we got to talking and I was helping her with, with some consultancy work. Um, and then she said, look, I've got this, this mad idea for a, for a new business. And do you want to co-found it with me? Because I need someone who's got those skills and you've got them. Whereas she's like, I'm the ideas person, but I, I don't know how to turn that into reality. She's like, whereas you've got the rounded skill set. Um, and that's what we did. Um, and last year, the year before nearly now, um, you know, we raised... 200,000 pounds of investment of other people's money who were willing to sort of put that into us um and then we've we've now just well we're just about to hopefully raise another million so so suddenly I'm, I've gone from being this accountant doing all these jobs where I didn't really think I knew what I was doing but was just collecting skills and now I feel like I've finally found a space I guess where I'm I'm just putting that to good use um so so I think yeah that that is definitely you know an accidental career journey there is nothing about that that was that was planned um but but I think that you know certainly what I've learned over that time about myself has been the most important thing I think about just getting in touch with actually what I want who I am as a person um and I think that my whole life has really played a, a big part in that Okay, well, there's a lot there. There's lots of things that resonate with me. Um, not knowing what to do after being at university, being in corporate environment, um, going on to run um, your own business as well. Um, there's something there that I just want to go back to about kind of the corporate world and some pieces there about not potentially fitting in um, and people not knowing what to do with you. I found that really interesting. In um, the, the longer bio that you gave me, that will go in the show notes for this episode, um, you mentioned a piece around being a passionate advocate for challenging bias and particularly around intersectionality. Is that where this is coming from? Or is it a much earlier part of your discovery um, knowing that you're a gay man? Um, I, I think I think it did. Um, so I guess, as I said, in, in parallel, I suppose, I was going through my own sort of um psychological journey in terms of coming out and, and understanding who I was and and realizing that actually you know I was being driven by you know wanting to prove things to my family maybe as a you know as a signal for love and then realizing that actually none of it matters and they don't care as long as you're happy you know so um I think there was there was that side of things um and I think I've always with the LGBT angle I have taken two approaches uh, one is that I've never 
I've never tried to kind of not be myself if I can help it. I, I've always just tried to just be who I am without it kind of defining me. Um, but at the same time, I I love pushing for it. So I, so I don't know. I'm I'm not like a um, uh, you know, I'm not like an activist, I guess. Um, but when I was at Baker Tilly, so. I was literally the only gay person I met in that accountancy firm and it had 4,000 staff and towards the end of my time they were actually setting up a diversity steering committee and I sort of managed to muscle my way into it <laughs> because I'd, I'd been kind of saying look this isn't right you know how can I be the only gay person that works here because there are either you've got two problems it's either that you're not hiring any so that's a concern or that you, um, nobody feels comfortable talking about it, which is also a concern. I was like, but those are your only two answers because it isn't that just nobody happens to work here. I was like, it's it's not statistically possible. Um, and then I think when I got to BT, you know, that was an organization that then I got exposed to the fact that it had a massive, you know, there's massive employee networks. Um, and I was able to actually, um, use I guess my position then to help keep that going so actually the LGBT network at BT had gone a bit stagnant um, and so I gathered a couple of people that I'd met and said look come on let's really let's get it back going again you know I think it's so important that everyone's got that support at work so I think having come from an environment where it didn't have it and then going to completely the opposite end of the spectrum I then got really into you know just just inclusivity and making things better for everyone and you know and, and that now is what we do at, at join my nexus you know we're we're building a platform to help people get funding for their businesses and often it is the the female the the people of color the lgbt who are, can't get access to the money because it's an old-fashioned system so you know i i think it's not something that i suppose i'm i'm always shouting with a megaphone about but it's something that I'm I'm passionate about driving positive change yeah yeah I get that and there's a role for both types I think um I think um I've I've been an activist but also a quiet activist um maybe a better way of articulating it um and when you're recruiting as well I often find that when I'm speaking to employers um just from my time back in corporate as well that LGBTQ plus and disability, maybe, for example, perhaps mental health, social uh, mobility, um, are undisclosed protected characteristics at times. And so going back to what you've been saying, so um, unless somebody feels comfortable and they're, um, they're going to be welcomed, there's something um, that was said on another of the podcasts that I listened to, Queer Talk, and Spencer, one of the co-hosts there, said that um, actually, well, it's all fine and well saying that you're welcome to join, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are welcome. Um, there is a struggle, I think, that um, a company or companies can or have in the last 12 months in particular um, easily say statements uh, back in particular causes. Let's, let's put Black, My Black Lives Matters in there, for example. Um, and there's not been so much action that I've seen in the last 12 months that's come out of some of these statements of intention of support. Um, and I'm seeing the same voices that are advocating time and time again, um, saying we're still here, like this, this is still important. 
Yeah, yeah. It is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I, when I told you that story about, um, you know, getting the job at BT and, and sort of being blocked out, you know, getting right up to the director's interview and then being told, yeah, the director doesn't, you know, doesn't think you're you're the right fit. Um, and actually the, the woman who'd interviewed me um, before him was a lesbian. And she said to me afterwards, she said, you know, she said, well, you know, we've all got bias in interviewing. She said, and, and actually, you know, you can be pro people as well. She said, so obviously I am pro you because you are a gay man. And so I recognize that actually you might need the leg up almost because you've got to someone who's gone, there's just something about him that's not quite right. And what she's saying is, yeah, but that's just because he doesn't look like you. So, um, you know, that was a really great example, I think, of somebody championing that kind of the right way of doing it of saying actually if he's the right person for the job and he's got the skills and he's going to be able to make a difference to the business then you hire him you know regardless of whether you feel he might not in inverted commas fit you know whatever that means um and i think that it's sort of and then i've had the opposite you know in the same workplace where I, you know, one of my bosses, so I'll be careful not to name names, but, um, you know, where I was sat in a meeting um, and I was kind of very passionately trying to get a, a point across um, because I felt like I was being ignored. Um, and I, I was probably conscious as well of sitting in a leadership team where I'm quite new and, you know, maybe I'm not being as respected. Um, and I remember my boss actually saying to me, you know, James, you don't need to be so dramatic. And I thought, ooh, I thought, hmm, that doesn't feel to me like you're actually hearing me. I was like, that feels like you're dismissing what I'm saying because for whatever reason, you 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 don't, again, you, you know, my, my face doesn't fit. And I don't know whether that's really an LGBT thing, you know, I guess you would call it a microaggression. But I, I, yeah. <laughs> but I remember, I, it, you know, and it's funny that it still sticks with me. And, and I can honestly say I've had very few of those, I think, over my career. But, you know, it does exist and it is there. So you've just got to learn how to deal with it, I think, and, and handle those things. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of research out there as well that suggests that people that identify with our community do develop a lot of skills around empathy and resilience and things like that. So particularly softer skills, uh, maybe that mean that we develop um, or are more, people find us more warm or warm to us more easily. Um, I think I'm interviewing you right now and I'm finding that too. Um, it's certainly a likability factor there. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and you and you're right, and I th and and there is a thing, and 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 that is a double-edged sword I've found in my career as well. I think it's been, it's been something that as I've recognised that ability, or as you say, that sort of you, you're you're always trying to charm people because perhaps you're you know you're concerned or you're hiding things or whatever it might be. Um, and so you you get really good I think at building relationships with people um but particularly with the resilience thing I have had to learn and and to take stock of times when I am pushing myself too hard and and perhaps holding myself to a higher standard than than a anybody really cares about and, and b that's that's actually feasible um you know because it, it's it's that's not good for you 
um and i've definitely had those moments of sort of burnout um and if i think back to actually when i was in accountancy and i said you know i, I got divorced um you know i was kind of embarrassed that i I'd, I'd sort of got engaged married and divorced in such a really short period of time um and i didn't tell anyone at work for about eight weeks um and the boss who I work with actually called me into her office um, and she sort of said, well, you know, I've been divorced twice. It doesn't ever get easier. And, you know, if there's anything you need, we're here for you. Um, but she was kind of, she was very, um, uh, she was kind of a forceful woman. So I sort of got this advice and went, okay, thanks very much. And didn't think anything of it. Um, and then I crashed my car um, and it was like, not a big, crash it was like I, I drove into the back of someone like from a standing start but it's because I was tired I was stressed I wasn't paying attention at work you know I was dealing with this problem I was trying to pretend it wasn't there um I had a colleague in the car with me who I was giving a lift to and and I realized at that moment I was like what are you who are you trying to protect like you know you've already been given the green light they've told you if you want to take time off you can and I was like no no must keep going and I thought, yeah, this is really stupid. Like, just take a week and go and calm down somewhere because nobody cares. Like, this is all on you, you know. And I think that was a big lesson for me to go, it's it's okay, you know, to, to not be okay, to, to use a phrase, I suppose. Yeah, it's important. I think it's something um, that when you run your own business as well, it becomes even more important and um, because you're asking yourself questions all the time. I mean... I often do it on my morning walk when I'm out with the dog. Um, it's usually a peaceful way for me to start the day, but in a way my mind can start ticking away and clocking around the questions in circles and um, working on those questions that I've been asking myself, particularly that piece that you've just been saying about holding yourself to a high standard and uh, at times getting frustrated when it feels like people aren't necessarily paying attention. Um, how, how do you look after yourself? No, um, it, if I can hear, right, so my best friend, I'm very lucky that I live in the centre of Manchester, my best friend lives in a flat downstairs, right, so it's a bit like friends, we're constantly up and down, and when you ask me that question, I could almost feel him sat over my shoulder saying, yeah, he doesn't look after himself, like, somebody give him a kick, um, I... I, I try to, so I'm, I'm a really all or nothing person, so when I'm doing it well, I, I do it well, you know, I get up in the morning, I have a coffee, I go for a run, um, clear my head, do a bit of yoga, you know, now and again, and I just, I just try and take time for myself when I can. Um, I think in the last year or so, I've not been the best at um, doing that. I, I, I've been very much around taking the opportunity. So I would say I'm definitely in a mode at the moment where I'm sacrificing and I know that I'm doing that, but it's not sustainable forever. So um, I do try to make sure that I carve out time for me. Um, and that's as simple as, um, you know, looking after myself might be saying no to that you know, friend that wants to Zoom you at the weekend, because I'm like, I can't, I'm doing it all day for work. And actually, I just need to not. So and I appreciate, you know, we want to spend time together, but not right now, you know, so um, I think taking time for yourself is important in whatever form you you decide to do it. Um, that's certainly what I do at the moment. Yeah, that's good to hear. 
Good to hear. Yeah, I, th I think it's difficult with the virtual communication bit, particularly on Zoom and video and things at the moment um, for the last year. That, um, you can manage your own calendar to a degree as a business owner and block out the time if you want to, to look after yourself and to make sure you get things done. Um, but don't want always to be on video calls. And I've heard a lot of people, a lot of friends of my own that are working for businesses or work for themselves as well, that um, really want to connect and get to the evening and somebody suggests we have a Zoom call and you kind of go, mm, could we not? Um, and I think um, it's a sign in a way that we're, we're not managing our time um, and saying and, and managing it to people and kind of saying, I want this to change. Um, and maybe there's been or there's no real difference um, and it's just the seat that we're sitting in every day that's different and where we're sitting. I th no, I think that's definitely right. And I, um, I, th I think part of that actually is around technology and connectivity. And, and sometimes I think we forget that actually if we, if we didn't have these smartphones and social media and all the rest of it, you know, you would have a handful of friends <laughs> you, you, and they tend to be in your immediate vicinity. You know, they tend to be people who live near you. <laughs> um, you know, or you might go and visit people um but but actually it kind of it, i i've got to this point now where i think yeah i've i literally know thousands of people you know i can connect with thousands of people whether that's twitter or facebook or, or whatever um and I, i've been told off actually by um someone who i worked with before because apparently i use too many apps so it must be to do with the year i was born um that i sit you know right at the apex of everything being created so i'm not on snapchat i'm too old for that but pretty much like i just collect new platforms so i don't whereas i, I believe that the in theory people only use two or maybe three but i've i'm like oh i've got seven or eight you know i'm, I'm on them all um and I think that that needs to be reined in. I need to stop doing that um, because it, it's not realistic. You know, it's not, that's not real life to me. I think it's hard to get that balance though. Good point. Yeah. So to, to wrap up, we've got three questions that I've been asking each guest and I can see some of the reasons that you would have given um, the three reasons. For example, um, when describing your career story, you've given me uh, random and strategic um, and I can kind of see the random side there, definitely see the fun side, but a lot of what you've been talking about um, isn't or doesn't necessarily have a strategy. So where does the strategic piece come from? Yeah, so the, the moral of my tale is that although on the surface it doesn't look like there's been a strategy, actually when I, when I reflect back on my career, every single opportunity or, or step I made really conscious choices. So it sounds a little bit like I fell into all this stuff, which I sort of did, but I did it by taking the opportunity and by measuring the opportunity that was in front of me. So I sort of, I guess, spent a lot of time actually collecting information, collecting data, really thinking about, you know, what that accountancy question, do I go into accountancy? Actually, I then went and researched it, you know, I went and looked at it and thought, oh, well, that maybe it won't be what I think it is. I should go to the interview anyway. And so I was sort of tentatively stepping in. And I, and I think that what I have done at every stage of my career is, is ask myself one of two questions. Is this going to make me happy? 
And then if it's not going to make me happy, is it going to get me to somewhere where I will want to be happy or I can be happy? Because um, I, I feel like those are the only two reasons to do something. Um, if it's going to make you miserable and it's not going to get you anywhere, then why are you doing it? So so actually, um, it, it has been weirdly strategic. It's all been about collecting skills and about just getting to that next level or that next thing. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and if your book, uh, if your career story, sorry, were a book title. So, um, and I think this will make a lot of sense because I always say, people often say to me, oh, you're so confident, you know, you just, you really know what you're doing. And I'm like, it isn't confidence. I say it's stupidity and belligerence, which hopefully is, has come across, you know, because I, I, I suppose I'm very blithe with it, you know, on the one hand saying, oh, yeah, it's strategic and I've made all these choices. And on the other hand saying, no, you know, I'm self-deprecating. I'm, I'm too stupid and, and just I'm just bulldozing my way through life. You know, um, I think the reality is that I'm probably somewhere between the two. You know, I think we all suffer from that kind of, you know, internal imposter syndrome, the, the confidence thing. And um I, I like that people outwardly will say oh you're really confident you know you know what you're doing and I'm like I don't know if it's that I know what I'm doing I think it's that I've decided what I'm doing so I don't really care whether it's right <laughs> I I think it's right so I'm just gonna kind of forge ahead um, and that that's the way I've always kind of approached my career really you know it, ignorance is bliss isn't it and I think that um, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm ignorant, maybe I am. Um, but what I do try and practice, if I can, is pretending to be ignorant. It's almost like, actually, if I didn't know anything, you know, like almost try and remove the barriers that are stopping me from making decisions. That's what I try and do. So it's like faux ignorance, if that makes any sense at all. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. So before I let you go today, James, um, what would be the one piece of career advice that you would give my lovely listeners today? Um, my one piece of career advice is collect skills. I think that there is no other career anymore. I think kind of gone are the days of, of sort of career paths, if you like. It's their career journeys. Um, and my advice to, to anyone whenever I'm giving career talks is that you should look to the future look at what skills you think you know you you need just to survive life and then go and learn them just just get yourself in any opportunity you can whether it's at work whether it's in your personal life um you know don't stop learning really try and try and always be be on the lookout for new things um because I, I think the speed of change in the world means that that's about the only thing that's going to remain a constant Great advice there. Look, thank you so much for your time today, James. Um, it's been great to meet you. And thank you again for putting yourself forward or for taking advantage of that nudge that was given. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you, my lovely listeners. Um, don't forget to share, subscribe and review. And I will be back very soon with another episode of the My Career Story podcast. Bye for now.